It's time for Decal Download, your source for news and information from the Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning. We'll hear from Commissioner Amy M. Jacobs and special guests to give you an update on all things Decal. This is Decal Download. Downloading now. And welcome back to Decal Download. I'm Reg Griffin, Chief Communications Officer here at the Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning with Commissioner Amy Jacobs, as always. Well, our food, our future. October is National Farm to School and Early Care and Education Month. And Commissioner, thousands of schools, early care and education sites, farms, communities, and organizations across the country are all celebrating food education, school gardens, and lunch trays filled with healthy local ingredients. Yeah, October is a great month uh, to celebrate um, National Farm to School and Early Education Month. And we know how important uh, nutrition and access to healthy meals are just for overall child well-being. And so uh, DECAL is excited to be a part of this. And you got to think about it, early childhood education, what better place to get early lessons in nutritious food than right there in your child care program. Uh, and as we might talk about here in a little bit, it is so much easier to teach young children how to try new foods than it is later in life. Right. Um, so, <laughs> Like us so adults, great. right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't even come at me with something new. Uh, but yeah, that's the best time to do it. Joining us to talk about National Farm to School and Early Care and Education Month is Diana Myers, Nutrition Health Educator here at DECAL, and Kimberly Donna, Farm to School Director with Georgia Organics. Ladies, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks. Good to be here. Thank you so much for having us. Well, we're excited to be talking about this. It's always fun. And uh, Diana, let's start with you. What is Farm to Early Care and Education and why is it so important? Yeah, so Farm to Early Care and Education initiatives connect young children and their families with healthy, locally grown foods while also supporting farmers and their communities. So a couple of goals of Farm to ECE are to help children develop those healthy, lifelong eating habits, as you mentioned, through exposure to gardening and hands-on food and nutrition education, cooking and local foods, food preparation, to increase access to locally grown healthy foods and meals and snacks, to enhance the quality of the early childcare education experience, as well as to create an environment that enables children and families to make healthier choices. In addition to promoting this health and wellness and high quality educational opportunities, FarmBC also continues to expand access to healthy food, encourage family and community engagement, provide additional market opportunities for local farmers and can support more equitable and resilient communities. So overall, as you mentioned, Farm BEC is foundation building as it impacts children at their earliest years while their taste buds are, are developing. So like you said, it's so much harder to change those things later on in life. Not that we can't change, but it just becomes more challenging. So we really get grasp those children at that youngest years during the zero through five age range during their growth and development. These programs have the opportunity to influence their behaviors that will benefit those lifelong healthy habits and lifelong, um, you know, reducing the risk of cardiovascular disease, reducing obesity rates. 
It can also improve their overall educational experience in ECE settings, which in turn increases some of those positive outcomes in cognitive, social, and emotional development. And I think it's really important to look at these interventions, especially in light of COVID, when we've had some rising challenges and in increased obesity rates, increased sedentary behaviors, increased challenges with mental health, and as well as increased food insecurity. So these are really the prime opportunity to look at these interventions. Definitely a lot of opportunity there, uh, for sure. So Diana, tell us, what is the Farm to Early Care and Education Coalition? The Farm to Early Care and Education Coalition was established in 2015, and it's a network that joins stakeholders in early care, food, farming, and nutrition to coalesce resources that support farm to early care and education, as well as create dialogue and while building statewide programming. So our vision for the coalition is that all Georgia early learners and their families have equitable access to nourishing local foods. And our mission is to cultivate partnerships among early care environments, farmers and community partners to increase local food access, strengthen nutrition education and improve health equity for families. So Kimberly, tell us about the Farm to School Alliance. What is that? The Georgia Farm to School Alliance is similar to the Georgia Farm to Early Care and Education Coalition. We actually have a lot of overlapping members. We are a statewide network of stakeholders in child nutrition and wellness, and we're made up of nonprofits, state agencies, healthcare organizations, for-profits, school nutrition leaders and educators. Anyone with skin in the game for child nutrition and wellness. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and we work together to coalesce our resources. Um, and we want to support farm to school statewide. So we meet quarterly, sometimes more often. And we do professional development together. Um, most often around health and racial equity. Um, and recently around advocacy. And we just make sure that we all stay connected so we can align and reinforce each other's work and work collaboratively to advance farm to school in Georgia. I love that idea. That sounds great. So when we talk about farm to school here in Georgia specifically, what are some of the local foods uh, we're talking about? Diana, Kimberly, both of you can kind of jump in on, on that one. I'm a native of Georgia, so I'm immediately thinking about peaches or peanuts, but what are some of the foods? Yeah, I'll kick us off. There's so many delicious foods and really Thinking about Georgia as a whole, we're such a big agricultural state. So there's a lot of delicious things. Some of the things to think about that are in season right now, especially as we think about holidays coming up and all are leafy greens, such as kale and lettuce and collard greens, persimmons, which is kind of one of those unique fruits that not, I actually learned about it only a couple of years ago and is delicious. It's like nature's candy, <laughs> apples, sweet potatoes, green beans, but I'll kick it over to Kimberly as she talks about our, our superstar veggie of the month this month. Yeah, it's a tough season to, to choose what to talk about, but I'm going to go with okra because at Georgia Organics, we are living La Vida okra in October. Every year we have a statewide campaign to get kids learning about eating and growing a fruit or a vegetable. And this year we've chosen okra. Um, if you go to our website and um, look up Live in La Vida Okra, you can sign up for lessons, activities, recipes. We have some really cool videos and, um, and there's some um, outstanding recipes on there. Um, and a really cool unit that 
um, Dr. Daphne Babro from the Black Child Development Institute created specifically for Farm to ECE with a whole array of really cool activities, fun, interactive learning opportunities for ECE providers. I like that slogan, Livin' La Vida Okra. Yeah, try to get that song out of your head. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah, now it's, so it's creative. earworm for you for the rest of the day. <laughs> Uh, that is a very creative slogan. And I do like okra, I have to say. I like it roasted in the oven. So if mm. you haven't tried it roasted in the oven, I like it that way. Diana, is that acceptable? <laughs> I mean, you're you're the boss on these programs. Oh, yes, you bet. Now I have to go roast my okra after this. <laughs> so good. It's so good. All right. So um, I hear the Farm to School Alliance and the Farm to ECE Coalition recently released the 2021-25 strategic plan. Tell us about the process of creating this plan and what are some of the key goals and strategies within that plan? Yes. So we just released that plan and we're so excited and really proud of the final product. I have to admit that I never thought of strategic planning as fun. I can't admit that I was excited about doing it, but it actually turned out to be the perfect timing with COVID-19 highlighting so many of the disparities in access to fresh food and quality care and education. So both the coalition and the Alliance members really jumped at the chance to work together and think carefully about how to address these issues through farm to school and farm to ECE. And then, you know, in mid 2020, we were forced into this virtual world, which actually worked to our advantage. And we were able to engage even more of our stakeholders statewide. So we ended up having over 50 organizations, many with multiple representatives attending the meetings. And we had, I think we had six meetings and a, a whole <laughs> bunch of joint um, steering committee meetings for the Alliance and Coalition. So it was a really engaging process with a lot of input, and it, it actually was really fun. We were able to learn so much about how all of each other's organizations work and how we do our work to advance farm to school and farm to ECE. And it really brought our networks together um, even more than, than we have been. So we have separate plans, and then we have uh, joint overlapping goals. And our joint goals are to increase knowledge and understanding of farm to ECE and farm to school, to support policy systems and environmental changes, to institutionalize farm to school and farm to ECE, and to evaluate our work and document the impact. So that was released last May, and we've started out really strong. And uh, we have a policy advocacy committee that recently requested and received a governor's proclamation and Governor Kemp declared October Farm to School and Farm to Early Care and Education Month. So we get to celebrate all month long. That is great news. And uh, we're talking, if you're just joining us, with Kimberly Deladonna with Georgia Organics and Diana Myers with Nutrition, um, our nutrition division uh, here at DECAL. She's our nutrition health educator. So tell us um, about Farm to School and Farm to Early Care and Education month. And Diana, what is the significance of that proclamation from Governor Brian Kemp? 
I have to say, as Kimberly mentioned, this was such a major part of our strategic plan was to have these joint goals. And one of those objectives of that joint goal of supporting policy systems and environmental changes to institutionalize farm to school and farm to ECE was to achieve that governor declaration of the Georgia Farm to School and Farm to Early Care and Education Day. And as we look across Georgia, so many Georgia agencies, schools, ECE providers, parents, students, farmers, and communities are all, all already collaborating to implement Farm to School and Farm to ECE programs to increase that access and education around fresh, local, and nutritious foods, which helps to reduce childhood obesity. And this is such a big step to have this recognition of the importance of these programs from the state level. And not only is it a big step, but this is the first time that we've ever had this declaration of this entire month as, as Georgia's Farm to School and Farm to Early Care and Education Month. And the hope is that, you know, we'll continue this momentum. We'll have another one of these months next year as well. And hopefully next year we'll be able to have some in-person things as well. So we can have local leaders that are able to go across the state and experience those farm to school and farm to early care and education programs firsthand in our programs across the state. I was going to say you're somewhat limited this time around because of the pandemic and and the COVID variant. I, I know I love seeing your pictures from the field with children experiencing these new foods. There's nothing quite like that to see that firsthand. Yeah, and I will say we we were looking up some of the live in La Vida okra, some of the pictures that schools and early care centers have been posting throughout the month. And there, I mean, seeing pictures, especially of the younger kids right next to the seven foot tall okra and harvesting it and tasting pickled okra versus raw okra versus roasted okra, like the commissioner was talking about, tasting all those different things. It's been really exciting to see what our early care programs and schools have still been able to accomplish despite being in the midst of a pandemic still. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah if, you can handle the, oh, sorry. if you can handle the cuteness overload, you should um, search hashtag live in La Vida Okra and you can see all those adorable pictures of little kids tasting okra. Oh, great. Yeah, we will. Well, let's talk about what does this actually look like and on the ground with our ECE programs. So um, Diana and Kimberly, what are some ways that early care organizations can implement farm to ECE in their work? What does that look like? So um, as I mentioned, October Farm to School Month resources include a unit for ECE providers. So there's some very simple ways to uh, implement farm to ECE from, you know, simply planting seeds in Um, egg cartons on windowsills or in little plastic baggies so kids can see the seeds sprout. Uh, A simple taste test of raw okra, two pieces of okra sliced thin, you know, for a a toddler is a great way for them to experience a new fruit or vegetable and expand their palate. And the unit also has more advanced activities if you really want to get deep into the nitty gritty of Farm to, farm to ECE and Farm to School. And then we also have on our website a comprehensive guide for providers called Getting Started with Farm to ECE. So if you're looking for a way to set goals, an action plan, and implement a Farm to ECE program through your meals and with gardening and in your education curriculum, there are guides to help you plan and succeed all the way through a comprehensive farm to ECE program. Great idea. Great resources. Now, Kimberly, I can see this happening in a childcare program 
Um, but can families also bring these concepts into the home environment? Oh, yeah. So October Farm to School Month is open and available for anybody to sign up for. It's free. So you can just sign up on our website and there are ideas for activities. There's advice on gardening with kids, how to involve even your youngest kids in fun gardening activities. And then the recipes that we have actually have companion videos in our favorite farm to early care and education, Chef Asata has these great videos where she highlights areas um, or places where you're making the food and your little ones can participate. And we know that when little ones participate in gardening and preparing food, that they're much more likely to eat it. Um, so these videos are really fun. Chef Asata is interviewing really interesting people about the story of their recipe. And I think that's fun for all ages. And then she prepares this recipe. Um, so those videos, you just have to brace yourself and be prepared to make the recipes because once you watch those videos, you're going to have like mad cravings for whatever <laughs> she makes, especially the okra hoe cakes. Once you watch that video, you're going to have to make some okra fritters. Interesting. Okay. I like that. And, and you're right. I mean, you get kids involved in the process and it's, lights out they they love it and and uh, and and it does it, it it basically builds the foundation for future you know nutritional awareness in, in their life so i think that's very good well this is my favorite question so i'm glad i get to ask it um <laughs> to hear from both of you what are some delicious seasonal recipes that early care organizations and families can make at home you always have great ideas and so i can't wait to hear your best ones Yes. Thank you so much. Always a good question. And I think that's been a classic question that we always have on the podcast that we can never miss. So thinking about some of the seasonal items that we have in season right now, I think one of the things that Kimberly was mentioning is it's so important to get kids involved in the cooking process and understanding that food doesn't necessarily come in this box from the grocery store, but those things are grown and harvested and produced by our local farmers and then have a process to be created. So one of the things that's just kind of a, a simple basic recipe is even making homemade applesauce. So taking those apples and making them, you know, it doesn't just come from a carton or from a can, but you can actually produce that applesauce and it brings out those rich flavors and an added bonus would be to do some type of a taste test with raw apples um you know making sure they're they're age appropriate but having a taste test with raw apples and then tasting that applesauce and having kids be able to mash it together and put in the cinnamon and all the measuring aspects of it also another thing too is you know, it's sweet potato season. And so adding sweet potatoes is some of those things like a hearty vegetable soup or adding it to chili, you know, bringing out some of those flavors that you don't necessarily think of traditionally, but but adding them to some of those robust meals. Also doing some type of a, I've, I've cooked, so I know traditionally collard greens are cooked, but I've also marinated collard greens and it brings out, takes away some of the bitterness that, that collard greens sometimes have when they're raw and adding some of that marination to it as well. But again, I'll have to pass this back over to Kimberly because we have so many delicious recipes. Commissioner Jacobs, you already mentioned roasting okra. So that's one that we've got to add to the list. Um, but Kimberly, what are some of those other delicious okra recipes that we have for this month? It's hard to choose because they are all so delicious, but I think my favorite one is called Bamiya. 
And it's a simple recipe. It's a Palestinian recipe. It was submitted by our former farm to school intern um, because she knew that I was actually not a fan of okra. I'm only a recent convert to okra. I um, am one of those uh, like anti-slime uh, <laughs> texture uh, people. So it was a, um, a recipe that she submitted to try to get me to like okra and it worked. So this recipe, it's, it's got a beautiful story because our intern Yaza learned it from her mom and her mom learned it from her mom and her mom learned it from her mom. So it goes back to the beginning of time. And um, it's simply okra and olive oil with tomatoes and cilantro and lemons. But the preparation makes it just magical. It's got a great texture and um, it's just not at all slimy. And you'll notice that all of the recipes in our collection kind of eliminate the okra slime. So um, that was uh, my influence, I guess, on the collection. And I apologize to all you okra slime fans out there who want it, but we actually have an activity in our activity section where you can make a whole vat of okra slime if you really love it. So, bamiya. <laughs> make the bamiya. <laughs> I love that. I wondered if we were going to address the slime factor in okra. I'm glad we did. This is we're totally transparent here at Decal Download. So, Diana, where can folks get more information? They they listen. They are on board. They want to be a part of this. Where can they go? Yeah, good question. So we have over on if you go to decal.ga.gov on the under programs. If you click on the nutrition tab, there's a bunch of different left hand tabs that have various um, information about CACFP and summer food service program. But there's one tab specific to farm to child nutrition programs. So it's inclusive of all farm to blank. Um, so you can go on there and there's various, you'll see the proclamation. It's a, it's a fancy proclamation that's signed by Governor Kemp, as well as our strategic plan. But it also includes activities and resources related to, as we discussed today, food education, gardening, local foods. We have a harvest of the month calendar that was created in partnership with Quality Care for Children and the Department of Education, as well as Georgia Organics. And it also includes some links to community partners to help connect to and begin some of these Farm to ECE programs. And also, as Kimberly mentioned, we have that Getting Started with Georgia Farm to Early Care and Education Guide. And that's such a good guide, especially for beginners. I think sometimes it can be, it can feel intimidating when you see pictures of these huge, beautiful gardens and farm stands and all these various larger iterations of farm to ECE. And that's a great way to really break that down and just have some of those smaller activities that you can get started with and also have some action planning in there as well. So that can be found on our website. And then Kimberly, I know you have some resources as well. Yeah. So everything that I already mentioned is accessible on the Georgia Organics website. So georgiaorganics.org, and you can go to the farm to school page. And that's where you can sign up for Live in La Vida Okra. That's where you can also find the Getting Started with Farm to ECE guide. There's a directory of local sources there if you're looking for a place to purchase okra. And if you really want to geek out on the Farm to ECE Coalition and Farm to School Alliance, strategic plan. That's there too. And that one is actually a really good read with interesting facts like the history of farm to school and farm to ECE in Georgia and a list of member organizations. So honestly, there's probably more resources there um, than anybody has time to read. But there is also a link there for registering for our upcoming 
Farm to ECE virtual lesson, which will be presented from a provider's garden. And that will be today, Wednesday, October 20th at 3 p.m. And if you missed that, if you're listening to this after Wednesday, October 20th, you can access that on our YouTube channel. We're going to record it. And it's there with a whole bunch of other um, recorded workshops that we've done with Farm to ECE guidance. Lots of great information today. And, and I, I, what I'm hearing is, um, you know, you think about the classroom setting and all of the opportunities for education, but those opportunities continue at snack time, at lunchtime. We can really continue to educate our children in an area that's going to have a huge impact on their lives uh, around meals, right? Absolutely. And I think You know, when you just think about cooking in general, you think about measurements and you think about when you're doing a taste test, you're able to measure how, if, you know, how many kids liked it versus how many kids maybe didn't love it that day. And, you know, there's so many wide spectrum things, not just the healthy habit building, but just mathematics and science and fine motor skills and gross motor skills. There's just so much, such a wide variety of learning lessons within these programs. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, great information. October, it's a great month. Uh, So many things. We have pre-K weekend October. Uh, Now you know, if you didn't already know, that we have National Farm to School and Early Education Month as well in October. So get involved and uh, be a part of these great initiatives. And Diana, I would be remiss for our decal family if I didn't ask you about your new baby girl four months old now yes she just turned four months which i can't even believe it so (laughs) she's she's sitting up with a little support so she's looking so big and she's just smiley and happy and she started touching some okra so i've already started (laughs) some of those sensory you know you know me she she's touched some basil some tomatoes and some okra so she's already started some of those sensory uh food activities as well I love it. I love it. Well, um, we're going to have to get some pictures and, uh, you know, with, with parental, uh, you know, agreement, we'll, we'll post them for our team to see, because I know they're excited for you guys, but, um, so great to hear that she's doing well. We missed you while you were away, but we were all away for that matter. So (laughs) it's been a different year, a a pandemic baby here is what you have basically. And it's quite a story to tell, uh, (laughs) in the years ahead. All right. Well, listen, this is great information. Again, go to our website, go to Georgia Organics uh, for more information. Diana and Kimberly, always a pleasure. Eat healthy. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And now a decal download extra beginning October 18th. All licensed Georgia child care providers are encouraged to apply for a fourth round of stable short-term assistance benefit for licensed entities from the Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning. As you know, funding for Stable Forward comes from the American Rescue Plan Act passed by Congress earlier this year, and it will help child care providers and families with workforce support, child care tuition relief, cost of facilities, supplies, materials, and food. And Commissioner, as you know, there is a lot of interest around this fourth round of stable. Yeah, and we know there's a lot of need for child care throughout our state, um, which is why we have um, created Stable Forward. And I think the big news is, you know, we have done three rounds of stable previously over the last year. 
and provided $165 million to childcare providers to do just exactly what the name says to stabilize uh, their business so that they're open and available for children and for families as they as they get back to work into a normal routine. But Stable Forward is just a little bit different for a couple of reasons. One, it's a lot more money. It's a minimum of $871 million to childcare providers throughout the state. And it will be um, in ongoing monthly payments um, for about 23 or so months, depending on when you apply. So um, a lot more uh, financial support coming through Stable Forward for childcare providers. And the man with the plan behind all of this that uh, we uh, have enjoyed having on these podcasts to kind of walk us through uh, the complexities of uh, applying and receiving this funding is our good friend, Woody Dover, who is Enterprise Project Management Director uh, here at DECAL. Woody, welcome back uh, to the podcast and welcome to Stable Forward. Pretty exciting. Hey. Thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, it's um, it's it's really exciting. Um, I think uh, it's a you know a, a tremendous um, opportunity to to really assist um, you know childcare providers in the state of Georgia and in, in like in a in a way that's you know so meaningful um, and, and something we've never experienced. So hopefully it, it has the um, the impact we 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 want it to have, and that it helps providers you know sustain their businesses. Uh, to support their workforce and support the needs of uh, Georgia's uh, families and children and their childcare needs um, in, in the years ahead uh, and really kind of help us to rebuild, um, you know, from the impacts uh, of the pandemic thus far. Um, you know, uh, $871 million seems like a really large sum of money. and It is, but um, when you think about trying to have to distribute it across, you know, 4,000 or more providers and do so in a sustainable, in a, you know, sustainable way. So you're, you know, providing predictable um, revenue or income to these providers to help them sustain their businesses over the next couple of years. Um, it, it doesn't go as far as you think when you think, when you, when you plan it in that way. And we really want to make sure that those providers who can apply will apply and receive the funding that they need. Um, we've, we've really tried to um, tailor uh, the way the payments work so that it, it, does take into account like the impact of COVID and then how it has, you know, negatively impacted providers uh, relative to where they were pre-pandemic. So what we're trying to do is, is, is really balance, um, you know, their, each provider's individual circumstance today versus where they were before and try to um, provide, a, a, you know, a grant payment structure that, 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 supplements, you know, the income or the revenue stream that they have lost due to, to, to lack of attendance or lower attendance. Um, and so that's really the goal. Um, we've, uh, you know, we've used, you know, the data that we've uh, gotten from the prior stable rounds um, to really try to, to inform us in a really logical way. Um, but at the same time, you know, the, the guidance on, on the stabilization funding is really that, um, you know, we, we need to be logical, have a basis in, in, in trying to understand how we're paying relative to providers' costs, but also do so in a simple way that's, that's not burdensome to a provider so that it's easy for them to apply, understand, and get the funding that they need. So, um, you know, trying to balance those, those different priorities, it, it can be challenging, but I think we've done done a really pretty good job of of doing that. Um, so what we do, I mean, the one thing we have to look at is like who can apply. Yeah. So in Georgia, um, you know, every state's different in terms of how they license, but 
to to receive the funding and be eligible uh, to to apply and be able to receive the funding, you got to be what's called CCDF eligible. It's it's really about making sure that all the programs have met um, the health and safety requirements that have been laid out by the Office of Child Care through the Child Care Development Block Grant regulations that that fund our CCDF dollars that that, that go out to child care. So. Those and those are pretty rigid standards in a lot of ways. I mean, fortunately, Georgia's licensed providers. If you're a licensed provider in the state of Georgia, you meet those standards. So that um, helps us um, to really identify those providers who can and cannot receive the, the funding. So in Georgia, um, our, our our providers that, that can apply are licensed child care learning centers and family child care learning homes. Um, and then we also have circumstances where we have uh, child care centers and fa- family child care learning homes that have been issued what's called a temporary license, but they've also received an initial licensing visit. So the combination of that factor uh, means that they're essentially in our regulatory structure. They're meeting all those requirements as a traditional license program is, um, even though they still have that temporary license. So it's just like a matter of time before they complete certain things, uh, but they're in the regulatory structure. They're getting their visit. Um, to ensure that they're meeting all health and safety standards. And then finally, we have um, what are called child care partners um, who work, who are partially funded through Head Start and early Head Start funding, but are also partially private pay or uh, maybe CAPS providers. So we're really about trying to help those providers for the portion that's not funded through um other federal dollars like Head Start or Early Head Start. So those are our eligible providers or those are the providers that can actually apply and receive the funding based on the standards set out by Office of Child Care. Now, I know we've learned a lot, as you said, through the first three rounds of uh, Stable. You've developed um, what we're calling a fair and equitable formula for determining the amount of each Stable Forward payment. Can you kind of walk us through how that works? Yeah, the, the calculation is really a two-part calculation. Um, uh, one part is to establish what would be considered a base level of funding to ensure that all providers who can receive funding are getting some degree of funding so that they can you know, sustain their businesses. Um, and, and so the basis of that is data from prior rounds, also data from our CAPS emergency policy that tells us that, that right now, we know that roughly 18% of, of families who could be in our CAPS program and, and in care are not there because our billing policies allow them to continue to receive funding for those children. So, so what we're doing is basing eight, half of the half of their payment or our base level of their payment on the, the idea that all providers have, you know, on average been impacted by an 18% reduction in their attendance or enrollment. And so what we do is we'll, we'll fund every provider at 18% of their estimated pre-COVID attendance. So for instance, if a provider um, had 100 children pre-COVID, the assumption here for this base level funding is that we're going to we're going to they've lost 18 children, 18, you know, paying, you know, families or children are no longer there. So they've lost that revenue, which makes it more difficult to, you know, sustain teachers, uh, buy supplies, uh, maintain your building. Um, so we will fund them for the, that loss of the 18. So we, we would give them essentially the equivalent of six months of funding for 18 children at a rate of, so 18, at a rate of $240 per child per week. 
Um, and so that, that forms the basis. And so it's actually every, every provider is treated the same. And then um, they receive that funding. Then the other half of the calculation is to estimate, you know, or to estimate actual impact. So for instance, we know, you know, Georgia childcare never closed. So we know that providers have been impacted in different ways. Some providers um, have done relatively well, had minimal impacts. Some providers were closed for months at a time and are just now starting to try to try to rebuild their programs and get new families back in and enrolled. And then some providers have been impacted, you know, their, their, their attendance dipped, but now they're, they're close to being back to where they were. So we understand there's, there's a a wide range of impacts that have actually taken place. And so we want to be able to add additional funds on top of that base layer for providers based on how they were impacted. So what we're going to do is we have a lot, we have some good data that allows us to estimate their pre COVID attendance based on their capacity. And so we'll take that pre COVID attendance and then they, in the application, so it's a really simple application. They're just going to tell us what their current attendance is or really their attendance for the month of September. Um, And then we'll take the difference if, you know, and so really the difference if they're COVID attendance, if their their attendance now or in September is less than their pre-COVID estimated attendance, then we'll fund that difference. So example being, we have the same program, um, 100 has 100 100 children pre-COVID. So say they apply today or on the 18th and they tell us, well, they now have 90 children in care. So now they, so what they're telling us is relative to the pan, the pre-pandemic, they have 10 fewer children in care. So what we'll do is, in addition to funding them for 18 children for their base level, we'll fund them an additional six months of, of payments for 10 children. So it'd be 10 children times the $240 per, ch- per child per week times six months. And then those two get added together uh, to form the, the total um, eligible payment. And then what we'll do is take that total payment and then we're going to distribute it month a monthly amount over the life of the funding. So right now for this first round, there will be 23 months between the application and the end of the funding in September of 2023, when we have to finally liquidate it. So what we'll do is spread that total amount over the 23 months or, you know, for this round. And if there's a, a round later, the next rounds will be fewer monthly payments, but we'll spread it that way. And the idea being is you're calculating this total amount of award and then you're distributing it equally over the future months to create us, you know, a sustainable, reliable funding stream to these providers. So, you know, in an effort to try to, you know, make sure that we can cushion anything we don't know or can't foresee, but also help for, you know, all the, the impacts that they've absorbed thus far. Right. Commissioner, I know uh, we have shared this plan with our child care advocates and uh, child care providers uh, around the state. What kind of feedback are you are you hearing at this point? You know, I mean, how can you not be positive about uh, $871 million? Uh, and, I, you know, so far it's positive. I think providers are just anxious to actually see the application and see how it all works. It's just, just a slight bit different, but it's better. You know, I feel like, um, Woody, I hope you can agree. I think some of the feedback we got, you know, last time was, can you please make this a recurring payment? And we just couldn't do that because we didn't have this large amount of money when we were making those stable one, two, and three decisions. But I feel like we've tried 
And Woody has done an amazing job of really listening to providers and what really helps them the most um, by not only making this process as simple as possible while still meeting all the federal guidelines, because there are more federal requirements uh, with these dollars than in the past, um, but also making a recurring payment so they can count on it and budget for it uh, and plan for it as they make their business plans over the next two years. So um, I think it's positive and I, and I feel positive from our end that we've really tried to listen to providers while at the same time making sure we meet all our federal requirements. All right. Well, stay tuned for more information. Woody has promised uh, webinars uh, and more information uh, as needed as we're going through this process. And Woody, I guess the best place to send any questions uh, that providers might have is at stable at decal.ga.gov. Is that right? Yeah, Reg, that's correct. And we also have a uh, website up on the decal website. So on if you go to decal.ga.gov and then there's the green banner across the top, uh, they'll see CCDF stimulus. And then if you go there, you'll see a link for a power applications as well as stable um, applications and information. And so if they click on the stable link, um, there'll be a lot of information there, including frequently asked questions. And we'll have a sample of the application up very soon. Uh, so, and we'll continue to update that, that information on that site um, regularly as, as we have additional um, items to add. Very good. Stable Forward, now underway. You can find out more on our website. Again, questions stable at decal.ga.gov. Woody, thanks for the update today. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Now your questions from the water cooler. Hello, my name is Cheryl Wilhite and I'm a senior manager in the Human Resources Department. My question for the commissioner is, what would you say to someone considering opening a new child care program in Georgia? Well, Cheryl, thank you for that question. Um, so we definitely hope we start to begin to see uh, child care programs opening up throughout our state. And there definitely are some requirements. Um, you know, first and foremost, I would say definitely check with um, your local county or city to make sure what their requirements are for businesses. But then we have a lot of resources at DECAL through our applicant services unit. Um, we have a free training um, to help get you started even before you maybe even make that final decision on what the requirements are. And then of course we can walk you through what that process is to become licensed. So it's a multi-step process, but we have a good team on board um, to help you through that process so that you can become licensed and begin serving children in your area. You know, it's interesting. I was talking to Rob O'Callaghan the other day in our research department. And during the pandemic, we've actually seen an increase in the number of child care learning centers, uh, yeah, a decrease uh, in family, I think, but uh, an increase in the other. Yeah. And I think if you look at it overall, uh, you know, we have remained stable throughout the pandemic, which is good. A lot of states have not seen that. I think, you know, some of those states did require child care to close. We didn't. Our governor kept child care open during the pandemic because he knew, knows how important it is for families. Um, but also, I believe, you know, the federal dollars have helped, you know, we've done the stable and now stable forward. And I think, you know, anecdotally, I would say and uh, that it's helped to stabilize the industry. So I think that's good news for Georgia. And one thing you've repeated throughout all of this uh, in discussions, both um, with advocates and with child care providers is, if anything, the pandemic has once again emphasized the importance of child care available in Georgia just to continue moving the economy along. Absolutely. I think that is a silver lining of the pandemic. You know, we at DECAL, we talk about the importance of childcare for many different reasons, but I think everyone 
um, across the state and really the nation has even more, more recognized now how important it is, not only for children and, you know, the early brain development, but also for parents. Uh, parents need childcare to go to work. And of course that, you know, definitely infiltrates our economy. So multi, multiple benefits for childcare. And I'm silver lining of COVID to, for everyone to recognize the importance of the availability of childcare. And it's time to give you a chance at winning a nice prize in the decal download quiz. We'll draw one name from all the correct answers we received to this question. What were some of the farm to school foods specific to Georgia discussed on today's podcast? What were some of the farm to school foods specific to Georgia discussed on today's podcast. Email your response to decaldownload at decal.ga.gov. You could win a prize from Andretti Indoor Cardigan Games, Chick-fil-A, Fernbank Museum, Georgia Lottery, Gwinnett Stripers, The School Box, Six Flags Over Georgia, Stone Mountain Park, Skyline Park at Pont City Market, Wild Animal Safari, and Wild Adventures Theme Park. Email us at decaldownload at decal.ga.gov. Thanks for playing and good luck. Thanks for tuning in to Decal Download. For more information, visit our website at decal.ga.gov. The conversation continues on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest. Follow Commissioner Jacobs on Twitter at C-O-M-M Jacobs. 